Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I have to tell you about these miniature gun models called goat guns. My guy loves building and collecting them. I was most surprised by the complexity of these models. They're really high quality. His dad and friends always ask about it. And if you ask me, these get a little too much attention around here. Shop for yours at goatguns.com. Yes, you're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs with me, Giles Bidder, the podcast where I speak to bands and musicians about their jobs, what they've done between making records, between making tours, and the stories that have come from all that. I'm so excited to welcome Ty from Luca Brasi to the show. We've known each other for a few years, and like so many people on this podcast, I've I've sort of known but never had the time to dig deep and ask them some of the questions I suppose I wanted to or try and get some of the stories of their journey out of them so thanks Ty thanks Luca Brasi and thank you for listening this is episode 117 of the podcast cheers for staying along with it I've had a week of Australian episodes Amy Taylor from Amel and the Sniffers Toby from Skeggs have both been on the podcast earlier this week you know you can go and check those out if you'd like to East London Signature Brew have been brewing beers with bands since 2011. They've made beers with Mastodon, Idols, Sports Team, Hot Chip, and a whole bunch of other amazing bands. If you go onto their website, signaturebrew.co.uk, you can get some of those beers directly to your door if you live in the UK. And with the voucher code 101podcast, all capital letters, you can get 10% off that order. All right, cheers again for listening. Here's Ty from Luca Brasi. 
Their new album, Everything is Tenuous, is out now. It's excellent. They're on tour in Australia starting from next month. Here he is. Go well. Cheers! I know what I remember best. Basically, I realized a couple of years ago that so many, it's, it was funny how many like different jobs people I knew who were going on tour and coming back to. And it's, and it's, it's funny because, you know, you got to take the band, you got to take playing music, whoever you are, pretty seriously in order to make it happen. You know, everyone wants to play music. It's, yeah, totally. You know, absolutely. It's like, it's like skateboarding and or it's like just being an athlete in a way, isn't it? You know, so many people are doing it. You know, you never want to look at it in a competition playing, you know, music's not a fucking competition. Um, but there is an element of wanting to be good and wanting, and, and, and so much of that is putting your time into it and being serious about it like that. Man, a hundred percent. Like, I know you said it's not a competition, but like you do kind of strive to fucking be competitive if you want to tour and do things, I guess at some point, like maybe competitive just in yourself, but yeah, it's a funny thing. Yeah. So I wonder how, like, you know, how did you start off like that? Did it, did Luca Brasi start, you know, were you in bands before and you know you and busby were you pretty you know on it were you pretty ambitious from the start man no not at all like me and busby had um we hadn't seen each other for a long time we moved to the same like town and started hanging out and just partying and he just was really good at guitar like he was always just fucking good at guitar and like obsessed with it that's that thing you're saying then like he was just so driven to be good at guitar and i wasn't driven to be good at anything but um he wanted me to be the singer and um he wrote some chords and we wrote some songs and acoustic guitars and that was kind of it and then um we never wanted to do anything at all ever we never wanted to be a band it kind of just kind of just happened so what happened did you have friends putting on shows friends in other bands that were that getting you getting you on shows totally so um where we were living in launceston where you have been before yeah, 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 yeah. We had a mental, we had a there. mental night. Yeah, I stage dived off a a bunch of hay bales. A bunch of hay bales. Um, so we um we had some mates that were like putting on shows there, and Busby's like, hey, we wrote some songs. We got some other guys to play drums and guitar, and um, we played a show with some mates who they were bringing bands like against me to Tassie, and they were kind of wow. like, we're going to their shows and watching their local shows all the time. We were always there. And we got a support slot on a bunch of their shows. And that was kind of like, well, we had six songs. I didn't have a tuner for my bass. Just, <laughs> That's just nuts like, that bands yeah. like Against Me would go visit Tasmania. Because for, for those touring bands from you know different parts of the world, going to Tasmania for them. Yeah, dude, it was crazy. Equally amazing for you. Because you're like, oh shit, all these bands that we heard of through you know big record labels you know, big punk rock record labels like Fat Wreck or Epitaph and, and that kind of stuff. That was it. That was the bands that were coming. So like um, they were bringing down bands like Strung Out, I guess, tacking a show onto an Australian tour. Um, right, right. I don't know how it was viable, but they, I guess they were getting people to the shows. Like it would have been, they would have been break even shows for those bands. And I guess, like you said, it was an amazing thing to get to go to Tasmania where they've probably never been before. You know, they've probably heard of it, but then to get down there, I guess. So we got to go... Um, when I was maybe like 17, go start watching these bands that I'd never thought would ever come to Tasmania, man. And what was your life like around there? Like, were you studying? Were you working? Um, so I guess when I started doing that, like going to those bands, I was still studying and then I started working. And then maybe a couple of years later is when we started trying to do, I guess we started being in the band. We must've been about 20 when that stuff happened and those bands were still coming. Like we never got to support those bands or anything, but we were still going to those shows. Right. And was there like a, you know, did you have, were you pretty easy on, on like sort of life perspective back then? How far ahead in the future were you looking? Man, I've got, yeah, not at all. I was actually, um, I did an apprenticeship as a welder. So I was like doing construction and shit. Wow, right. Um, but like with no idea because I was at school and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then um, I just sort of fell into that and I was just partying and living in Launceston. <laughs> Is it a kind of thing like, you know, where a lot of people, where a lot of your, you know, generations around you that, you know, you would stay, you would stay in the area. Yeah, totally. I guess even a step backwards, like we all lived on the East coast, which is about two hours from Launceston. Um, 
And then we moved there because you can't you can't do college there. So we all had to kind of go. But that meant that there was a massive group of us that had grown up together then living in share houses and right. doing that sort of shit. You know, there would have been like 40 people that I grew up with that all went to the same town or, or the other half went to Hobart like a few hours further south. Yeah, it was really strange. That's a lot of fun, man. Oh, man, it was unbelievable. It was like we were like, we were like tiny town kids. Like our, where we're from didn't have like fucking shops and traffic lights and shit and then go to Launceston, which uh, is a tiny town and it seemed like this massive playground where there was like shows and pubs and it was a different world, man. My first introduction to Luca Brasi was a video of you playing someone's house and, you know, you- That was my house. Off. That was the house we're talking about. If, That's if, where I was living when this happened. You're like jumping, jumping off route, like, you know, like being completely reckless. And, you know, we're in the, gener- we're in like the jackass generation, right? You know, if you're from a small town- Totally. You, st- yeah, yeah. you skateboard or you BMX or you just, yeah. you know, you just go kind of nuts. And then, you know, for that us- was you know, the we- house. <laughs> we're we're brought up to think that like Australians kind of you know extra nuts, <laughs> you know. I, I just think like um so that that whole crew that I was talking about. It's so funny you mentioned that video because that was that whole crew of us living in that like house. I think it was like six people in a two bedroom house. It's like right. we all had like That's- apprenticeships and stuff, and just I don't know, man. You would I'm sure you had a very similar crew of you know 20 years old getting wasted and listening to punk bands it was sick you know I, I think it's really easy to look back in the past and be like oh you know I, I kind of messed up by not being organized or I messed up by not taking the opportunity maybe when I should have done just because all I was doing was you know all you're doing is drinking and that, and that stuff yeah. <laughs> but but equally like there's a time and a place for it and that's the time you know you can't totally man out. nah and like it you fucking figure stuff out at some point, but like at that mm. time, I'm so grateful for that that whole period because I can look back on it now and think, holy shit, it was just such an amazing time and hangovers weren't bad and like we had <laughs> enough disposable income and cheap rent to just have the best time with each other and it was amazing. And, ta- and that Tasmania, that area was cheap, was it? Because Australia is expensive. Man, that, that, that area then was, oh, it's, it probably still is now. Like Launceston's quite cheap. Um, mm. But like where I live now in Hobart is, or Tassie's pretty crazy now. But um, back then it was super cheap. That We had this house that we're living in that um, it just kind of got passed through the hands of people who lived there. There was no bond, no like rental contract. We'd just pay this money into a bank account every week. Great. And there was no, it was Great. just, yeah. So we had enough money to drink. <laughs> and, you know, band was kind of rolling by that point. Was that kind of a, you know, something that you were excited about? every day i think so at that point man because we we put some songs together and um with the guys i was telling you about that were bringing bands down they were sort of encouraged us to come and record um some mm. demos with them so you know that was something that i never expected busby's like you know we're a band i was like oh i never <laughs> thought i'd be a band so um right these right. dudes that we're hanging out with were so kind to us and um, i think you oh you definitely know nick who is now our touring uh front of okay. house guy he came to he was in London with us last time. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he was the guy bringing those bands down, but he's also an awesome engineer and um, he encourages us to write enough songs to put out a like a, an album. That's what we recorded with Nick. Having those people who were encouraging is vital. Man, it would never have happened. We're like, oh, let's just put out four songs and just do an EP and then whatever. And Nick's like, nah, like we... I believe that you should be taken seriously. So make the rest of the record. And I'm like, oh, we'll just do what he says. And he was just so awesome to us. And that meant that um, um, a label from Melbourne that we love, like an indie label, Poison City Records, that you'd, you'd know about for sure. Um, of course, yeah. We're in Melbourne. They invited us to come and play this show. It was our first time out of the state as a band. And we played like a house show. And the next day we played a, um, played a pub. But we got there and he's like, who's putting out the record? And we're like, how do you know we had doing a record? And he's like, you know, like Nick told us some stuff. And then he's like, I want to put out the record. I'm just like, what the fuck? Like totally mind blowing, man. It's funny that shit. Cause you spend, you know, you know, you might, you might spend loads of time emailing people, sending letters, sending demo discs, all this, you know, I think the most powerful thing is when other people are talking about it, you know, when you just leave it to do its thing. Man, hundred percent. We, like I can't thank those guys enough for what they did. And like you said, it was organic because it just kind of 
we were so lucky. I mean, it was probably a great time and a place for the size of that label at the time and the dudes we were hanging out with that just, I don't know, they made it happen somehow and it just was so organic. It was just ridiculous. You kind of touched on it, Nick, saying you've got to take this seriously. That was something I always struggled with. It. I struggle with it now. I struggle yeah. with taking life seriously. Yeah. And, you know, I always thought that was funny because you're like, you fucking, you know, you're arranging your life around this thing. And this thing you can't take seriously. It feels ridiculous nah. to take it seriously. Stupid, man. Like, I, I, I really struggle because, um, you know, you'd be at work on, you rock out to work on Monday morning and you're so fucked. You've been away for maybe four or five days or just even for the weekend and you get back and it's like, I can never say, oh, yeah, I was just away away working on the weekend. I wasn't fucking yeah. working on the weekend. I was like hanging out with my mates and went to a show and played the show. It seems so strange right. to consider it, you know, like you said, a serious thing. And did you learn pretty quickly to balance those two things, you know, work, making rent, um, you know, taking taking that stuff seriously? Yeah, I guess the lucky thing was – um we all, at the time, I was, we all were like working and it kind of just was like, yeah, we work and we do shows when we can do shows. And it was just kind of right. what we were doing. I guess that maybe we were so used to that pattern already that we just kept doing it. And we sort of like continued to keep kind of doing that, especially now, of course. But it did get mm. to a point where we'd slacked off a lot and we're working a lot less and playing a lot more shows. But um, I guess we've all kind of steadily manage to work through it is that something that you all talked about because as much as it's like a group thing and a group of mates you know having you know do you have those serious discussions and then also you got your own journey you got your own yeah. you know you got your own life don't you yeah man totally um we did well, i guess we didn't at first it was like this is kind of you know we're getting enough time off to play this is getting really cool and i guess as we got mm. a little bit older when we had like um Pat and Danny joined those guys. They joined a little bit afterwards, but um, they were kind of a bit more, I guess, a bit more locked down with what they were doing. And eventually they had, I guess they would have had kids in the like 27-ish, 28-year-old they would have been, I guess. Right. Which means that that was a bit more serious for them too. And it's kind of been unspoken. We just We just always wanted to work a way around that stuff. And I don't know how we've done it. We managed to just hold jobs and yeah, make it work somehow. I guess everyone makes it work somehow. It's, it's funny. It's like a relationship, isn't it? You're like, yeah, totally. How did that happen? You're like, I'm not sure. <laughs> That's exactly it, man. Like, it's always like, so how did we get away with doing that that year? Like that many shows. And I was like, I, I don't know. It just seemed to fucking, yeah. I, I think musicians are amazing at making things somehow work. It's like a dark art, isn't it? It's like mastering a record. It's a dark art. You don't talk about it. Yeah, because who knows what it does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. With, with, you know, those two joining, Danny and Pat joining later on, halfway through, that must have been, you know, that must have been nice for them because they're coming into an already established infrastructure where they can take it seriously because you'd released a few records. You'd done these brilliant tours with these, you know, bands from yeah, North America. Yeah, um, yeah. And I imagine that might have reflected well on you because you're like, oh, this is what we do. You know, this is who we are. We take this, you know, we have fun, but we we take it pretty seriously. Yeah, exactly, man. And we still joke like, oh, you guys, you guys got in the band after it got uh, a bit easier when it wasn't just right. shit, like for years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, you guys, you guys didn't play those shows to fucking zero people for four years. Um, but yeah, I think you're dead right. Man. Four yeah. years you were playing to no one? No, nah, I don't know how long it was. But just like we always yeah. fucking rub it into as much as possible, man. They, they got in when it was yeah. the going was good. Even, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, I think you're dead right. It made it seem like it was more of a legit, legitimate thing that we could bring them to something that did already kind of exist, I guess, like you said. And that, was that hard for you and Busby when the, when those, when the previous two members left? It was pretty mutual. Like um, Tom and I, I guess I never really considered how you were asking that question about how seriously he took it because we obviously took it a lot more seriously than the, the guys who were in the band previous because they just had other stuff that was priority where we were just driven that we wanted to jam and we wanted to write songs. We wanted to record where they would kind of turn up less or be less enthused and it kind of split split mutually. 
um, which was hard because they were, you know, the same crew of mates that we were friends with. I think the hardest part for them was just the fact that they had to actually say, physically say, yep, I am done with this now. I think that was the hard part. Right. And I mean, it's, it's a weird thing, isn't it? You know, it's like, it's not, it's, it's fun until it's not. Yeah, that's exactly it, man. That, that's another point where it's like, we always wanted to be friends before, you know, friends first, band second. And then when that stuff starts happening, it changes the dynamic of your life, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And you're talking about, you know, working, go back to work. That wasn't the welder's job, was it? Yeah, I was still, I was still welding. Yeah, I was doing that shit wow. for construction and stuff. And it was, you know, was that like, a, I mean, I imagine if you're welding around people, that's their full-time job. You know, they maybe they've got families. Totally, you know. man. Yeah. They had families, they had lives. They were, you know, the career people that were, yeah, trades people, I guess. Yeah. How did you fit into that? Were you like the kid? How did that, you know, looking back on it? Looking back on it, man, I do look back on it sometimes. I was definitely like so out of touch because I fell into that world and I, I, I didn't do like construction at school or like whatever you call it um i just somehow fell into it i didn't know what i wanted to do and this job came up my mate he did it and he said just apply and i got the job and i was like i don't know anything about four drives i don't fucking go hunting i don't hate uh i don't hate my life i don't hate my partner and all these dudes are like rough as bogans like right I, i was very uh out of place i guess it wasn't really my world could you, you know, could you hold your own though? Because you're, you're a pretty tall chap. Yeah, I, I think, I think it's funny, man. I think about this. I, a bit later on, I started doing like, um, what they call like fly in, fly out work. So you go and work in the mines and, uh, fly home for a week and go for like four weeks or whatever. Do that shit for a while, and you just kind of find a way to. Well, I found a way to adapt, so I could always put on a bit of a fucking ah yeah, fellas, going yeah. on boys. That, you know, <laughs> That you sort watch of the shit. game? Yeah, yeah. That sort of <laughs> shit, man. Like you're putting on this mask because especially when I was away for like, you know, if I was away for three or four weeks, you'd, you need someone to talk to. Like no matter if they're talking about fucking hunting feral pigs or some something that I don't know anything about, like you still, <laughs> you still want to talk to someone and it got to be, you know, you have to find that way to adapt a little bit, I guess. So it was okay. Those jobs would last up to a month, would they? You'd fly somewhere and be stationed for a month. Yeah, totally. You'd have rosters at like four and one roster, which was like four weeks away, one week home. In Tasmania? I was flying in and out of places around Australia, like the mainland Australia. Wow. Yeah. yeah. What, were any of, the, any of those trips, you know, come to mind now? You know, what was, you know, what, what was the most like wild one? Well, I guess we were working in this gold mine. This is the one that always remembers. Um, and the week we went on shift and the shift two days before, like a rock fall happened and someone had died in the... The mine, which is crazy. Literally a gold mine. Yeah, literally a gold mine, yeah. So what were you doing? I mean, you were, you know, what was your job there? Um, welding, but... Yeah, like welding, like working underground and um, like putting in the conveyor belt systems and stuff. Right. Fucking Once again, hell, man, man I had no fucking idea what I was doing. <laughs> I was like, that's like nuts. Kid, man. Yeah. Do you laugh at that now? Like, you're like... Totally, man. The amount of times that someone said to me, right, you, you know what's going on? I'd be like, yeah, 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 <laughs> fuck yeah, of course I do. And you get there and just go, what the fuck, man? <laughs> and that's dangerous work. Presumably yeah. you get paid a nice oh, little wad because it naturally being the dangerous. The, I, I must have did it for a couple of years, like or maybe a bit longer, but on and off. Like I'd come in and out because the money was so good that you could just do a bit. And then, I don't know, I went traveling a lot, like going traveling to Asia is so, so easy and cheap here. And my girlfriend yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, at the time would just, you know, just go away. Like I knew guys that were doing this job would fly to the mine on on – their swing off they just fly to bali for that week because the company would pay for them to do it and then fly back to the work for a month it was crazy that's like that's not a bad life is it dude and these guys are like 20 year old cashed up bogans that were just having the sickest life ever it was crazy because they they loved that work it wasn't really my Mm. world but they they seemed to really love it um, but you must have been somewhat like enthusiastic about it just because the it's sort of the mental and emotional energy that goes into being like, okay, you know, I'm going to go away for a few weeks now. Yeah. You know, you're making money and you know, you've got a job, but you know, I feel like having a job these days is good in itself. Fuck you know, man, absolutely. For any young person. Yeah. Um, and you, you're dead right. It was pretty sought after work. And once again, I managed to fall into it from somewhere. Um, 
and I was pretty stoked because uh, the whole goal was that we were going to go away for like eight months, just live in Asia somewhere. So we just like, when I well, finished the band up, or you and your girlfriend? Just me and my girlfriend at the time. And the band was still happening. So it was like a bit of a weird uh, thing, but we just <laughs> fucked off for a fair while and just like had a sick time and spent all the money. <laughs> it was awesome. No way. <laughs> yeah, that's, cool. that, that's hilarious. Did, what did cool. the other like... You know, what did your friends at home and like, what did your family think? They think you're, you're crazy for doing this job. Uh, yeah, so, like, some did. But um, interesting enough, my, my dad was, a bo- oh, he is the same like trade that I have, like a boilermaker welder, it's called. And so was my granddad. Right. So like, um, wow. which is crazy. So they, I guess dad sort of knew that, that world. But yeah, I mean, it was so different than what a lot of my other friends were doing for sure. Because my friend group right. wasn't really in that circle, I guess. Sounds like you didn't feel much pressure on the band because I, I wonder if, and I certainly did a few years ago, I felt like the pressure to always be thinking about the band. Yeah, I guess, I guess this was like um, maybe before we made a second record. We were doing shows like kind of sporadically, um, didn't really know what we were going to do and then we kind of written most of the second record and then I was coming back to, to work on that with Tom and then I guess we must have recorded it when I came back. Um, and over that next couple of years, when I finished up working in that, because I wanted to go to uni cause Tom was at uni and we could be really flexible and right. Yeah. Work together and yeah, shit like that. It was so much easier when I was just, I was working at a bar a couple of nights a week, um, and just studying, I guess a bit after that. So that happened, that, that job ended. Did you, did you yeah. like, sort of quit? Yeah. Just had like, just had enough. Like it was just like, it was I mean, I, I feel so lucky to have had it because it let me do all this sick stuff, but I was just fucking so sick of it. Yeah. And was that was that tough tough to pull away from, you know, after being able to make cash at an early age? That was a bit, yeah, that was a bit scary, but it was like, do I keep doing this or do I get out of it so I can, I was really pumped on the band and I was like, is there a way I can do something for a career later and write music and stuff as well and get out of this job. I was like, I can't do this forever. I was just so done with it. And that job was after the kind of party period, the party. Yes. Yeah. That was after. Yep. Right. So So you kind of like, it's growing up in a, was it, did it feel like growing up in a sense? Totally, man. Um, So I'd actually moved out of that place. I'd moved in with my girlfriend. Like this is all around the same time. So you're dead right. It was like, things were starting to start to change. Like it was still like, doing stupid shit and I was living in Asia, like getting wasted every day for eight months. It was like, it was sick. Um, Amazing. Yeah. And then I came back and um, signed up at school and we made the second record and that's when I was home all the time. Am I right in thinking is before the second record, you were doing these national tours? With, yeah, we'd with started them. to do a couple of, yeah, we'd start, I think we'd done like maybe three or four actual tours and then I went away for a while. And I feel like, you know, maybe it's just my the, my experience of Australia, but, you know, if you're getting played on Triple J and if you've got an album released by an indie label such as Poison City, that is like a pretty big, you know, clear platform. Yeah, man. So um, that second record I keep talking about was when we had a first song ever played on the radio. So right. that's, that's exactly the same period when it was like, oh, we can play a show in Melbourne and they'd be like, maybe a hundred people actually came to our show, a headline show. It was like, wow. Holy yeah. shit. And that's off the back of that triple J thing you're talking about. Like that exposure is just so, yeah. So that's the thing with triple J. Cause it's like you, if you get a song added to rotation, you literally get it played a hundred times or something. And they have to play it throughout specific periods of its life cycle. So you're right. getting played like at prime time. And so many people are listening. Triple J is so big here. And aside from people listening, you, you get that sort of generates a bit of income, doesn't it? You can sign up to the... Yeah, totally. You get um, what they call APRA here, which is like performing rights right. royalties or something. So, And you were pretty organized with dealing that stuff. Well, that, I think it kind of happened with the label so that they'd register you for all of that shit. And, um, right, right. That, that had happened through them. And that's like, that's like a vote of confidence. You know, I remember people... I do. You know, put, someone putting out your record, you're like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> It was just this crazy thing. And then, yeah, I don't know. It feels like some really fortuitous things have happened along the way somehow. (laughs) Starting school, that gave you the time to free up. I mean, were you taking taking the band a bit more seriously? Seriously is maybe the wrong word. 
No, no, you're dead right. Because um, we, I wasn't, you know, I had no commitment. So we were trying to write and we were touring more. Um, so we kind of had the freedom to do it. And I was like studying online most of the time too. In Like from that from that record into what the- What were you studying? Uh, teaching. I did like an education right. degree, which I am now. I'm a teacher, like full-time now. Brilliant. Yeah. And, you know, you knew you wanted to, you knew you wanted to be a teacher then, did you? That, that It felt right. I, I don't even know. Like it was like, what can I do um, where I know I can get some work? Because I wanted to teach like welding and the trade stuff at school. Mm. And I knew there was a gigantic shortage. And I was like, if I can get this done, I know I'll get a good job. And that, like they need me. It, no matter how shit yeah. you'd be, you'd, you'd get work somewhere, somehow. Every teachers and doctors, right? Totally, man. And it's like, and a really big shortage in um, that trades sort of sector that I'm in. Like massive. Oh, really? Yeah, huge. You, you kind of knew that at the time? Yeah, because I, um, I don't know who I was talking to. It might have been someone who's retiring, but they were like, they can't get people to do it. There's just no one. All the older guys are done. I think it's so funny, you know, like these big things in our lives, right? We might have had a, a chat, you know, a, a stranger at a pub might have, be, might have, you know, told you like that. That's literally it. I don't even know where it came from, this idea. Yeah. And it changes your life. <laughs> totally, man. I had no drive to be a teacher. I don't even know where it came from. I just kind of like, <laughs> I was like, I like talking to people. Um, and that was kind of it. <laughs> so did you, have, did you have like, you know, I keep on going back to this, you know, like pressure of, you know, band stuff. But, so, you know, Violent Soho, for example, you know, they, they you know, they moved away to, um, and I spoke to James Tiswell uh, this time last year, actually, for this podcast. You know, they moved to America, North America. They moved to New York to do their, you know, to kind of focus full time on the band. Was there like anything like that for, for you and Tom? When that record came out and we started getting a bit like a bit more attention and we started writing the third record, which is, I guess, the one that at that point it was like, that album's called If This Is All We're Gonna, gonna Be. And that was like, mm. if it doesn't get any more than this, are we going to keep doing this? <laughs> I yeah. guess. So like, um, so to answer yeah, your question, we, when that came out, we signed like a bunch of like booking agent deals internationally. And there's all this talk of like, we're going to do all this shit. And it was like, Oh let, yeah, let's do it. And there was a lot of talk about what we'd finally do. And it never just kind of happened. We never, never kind of, we're going to leave. We were so pumped on staying in Tasmania. We always wanted to be Tasmanian and, and a big part yeah. of my drive as a person is to talk to, you know, young people about the fact that you can be successful from being here. Cause it was, it's always seen as a backwater sort of place, man. Like Tassie for a long time was never a cool place to be. It's come a long way, but it was always like, you can't stay here and do stuff. Cause, um, to go and play those support slots, a lot of bands weren't coming here and you had to, if you wanted to get a support slot, you have to drop a thousand bucks just to get a show in Melbourne on the off chance right. you might, you know, there was none of that, yeah. but we really wanted to just keep trying to do it. So our thing was like, we're just going to keep going back and going back and going back and going back and, but stay in Tassie. I love that. There was that amazing article. Which website was it on? Well, you know, about. Oh, dude, that, I think it's triple J one that came out of yeah, that one really took the wind out of my sails, man. That was a um, super unexpected, but it was just fucking unreal. They were just, yeah. And that's all we wanted to do. Like we never wanted to, we just wanted to be from here and show people you could do something from here. Because there's this real so, this real feeling that if you are from here, you need to leave. It's still here. Hmm. It's still that sense here now. It's funny because, you know, you don't, ha- you, don't, you, you don't have to have a civic pride to – equally be like no i love where i live you know you know and i I think that's so cool and that's real that's real you know being able to tell young people who feel like they have to you know do something that maybe you know they from outside pressures like fuck that you know you can make something of yourself where you are that's it and then we really we we still like so focus on it so much like we we love being from here it's always been this like out like i guess outside a chance that you do well if you are from mm. Tasmania. And I understand it's it's hard because opportunities aren't here as much, I guess. It's funny, you know, because I spent, you know, probably 15 hours in, in yeah. Austin at, at <laughs> yeah. that festival. But yeah. I really felt, I felt like really at home there in a weird way. You know, everyone was super kind. Like you, you guys were really nice. 
you know, when you played, there was a real special feeling. Um, I, that's really funny too, man. Cause like, I feel like, I'm, sorry to interject, but um, that no. festival is run by dudes who uh, grew up in a tiny town. They were like, nothing is happening here. We want to do something here. And they just made this thing happen. And that thing got fucking huge, man. So at that time. Party in the paddock? Yeah. Is that what it's man, called? It got crazy. It was like from, I think maybe there's the third year when you guys were there. And the first year was a hundred people. And by the last the year, it was like 10,000 people. Yeah, man. It was crazy. Wow. I think it's funny about, you know, and I wonder if it does come from this alternative culture where, you know, if, if, you, if you're a skater, right, and I don't want to just dwell just on skateboarding because, you know, there's bladers and all kinds of different stuff like that. But, you know, you make your own ramps, you make what you want out of it. And I think, you know, that's even interesting as, uh, you know, talking about that, even, you know, as 30 year olds, because where I live this 10 years ago, people would be like, oh, no, don't go there. It's, it's, it's scary or it's, it's dodgy and all that stuff. But really what it's meant is that it's cheap. So that's where people have made venues down here. People have made stuff yeah. happen because they wanted to. And I think there's, there's something totally really powerful in that. And I think that is quite a common thread in a lot of the music that we listen to, making something of yourself in that way. Man, I just think you couldn't be any more right. Like, I feel like especially people in our sort of circles that um, you might, you know, not everyone, punks or this sort of whatever genre it is, isn't the most mainstream thing. So if you want something good to happen, if you want to be taken seriously, fucking find like-minded people and do something that works. And generally because you're so, I've found that people in this scene have just been so wonderfully welcoming because they're just trying to do the best for you as well as them. Totally. It feels good. (laughs) It It feels feels good to have that, like that mentality. Yeah. I'm just so grateful for the, you know, that whole experience. And, you know, it makes so much sense as to why you're a teacher, you know, because you you speak so articulately and, you know, you're coming from such a a positive place with all that, you know, that's, that for me, that's what I would love in a teacher, you know, a kind of empowering person. That's all, that's all I wanted to be. Like, I, I honestly love, I didn't know I liked talking to kids and working with young people like that until I started doing it. And I was like, I could be the one part of your day that is better than your shit home life, you know? Yeah. 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 Which is sick. It's, it's hard to forget. It's hard to always remember that um, mm-hmm. through the whole day or the whole week or the whole fucking year. But the times when you keep that as a focus and you get to talk to kids a couple of years later or something, because I've been doing it for like four years now, um, get to talk to kids a bit later and they say like, you know, I wouldn't have got through that part of my life or you know i yeah i would have had a lot worse time if you went there to you know fucking just be normal to me (laughs) school can be such a divisive place it can be kind of you know real like worst part of people's days but it can be the best and i think you know when when you get that slice of positivity i think you remember that totally man i think so too like um for some it's really strange so some kids might have might be the worst kids at school but their home life is so bad that they keep coming to school and coming to school because it's the only constant thing they might even semi have in their life is that they'll be there at eight o'clock and they'll have classes and classes and they'll go home and everything's in disarray. But that time yeah. when they're at school, they might not be showing outwardly that they're part of it. But yeah, it's really it's a really funny dynamic. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What subjects do you teach? So I teach like woodwork and metalwork. Did you do that at in your qualification? No. So like um the only way now. So what I was talking about when um all these old old guys are sort of leaving the profession. Uh, when they studied, you could go to to a tech college and learn how to teach what they called manual arts. So you could teach, mm-hmm. learn how to teach woodwork and metalwork. But now they don't have any of these tech colleges anymore. So the only pathway is if you were a tradesperson like I was, then going to uni and doing it's like a normal teaching degree, but teaching that right. specializing. Yeah. Isn't that funny that 
I don't know if maybe you'd be great at, and love teaching another subject as well, but you know, you, you've, you've used your two big work experiences to do, to do what yeah. you're doing now. I, that's really nice. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Like, uh, I'm so stoked because I didn't enjoy that time in my life that much when I was doing that work. I didn't enjoy that stuff, but yeah. I love the teaching side of it. And I don't think I could teach. Yeah. I don't think I could teach much else. I, I did try and teach like, um, some contemporary music classes for a bit. And I was like, I just didn't enjoy it. I felt like it kind of took my love away from <laughs> what I liked about music, perhaps. I, I can totally see that. You know, I, I've, I did a couple of guitar lessons or bass lessons when I was younger. I really wasn't into it. Nah, it's funny, isn't it? Like everyone's like, oh, how come you're not teaching music? And I'm like, didn't really, I don't know, maybe, maybe at some point, but at the time I was like, this isn't, enjoyable for me at all you got a pretty good bass stance i think maybe you could teach that <laughs> teach some yeah, serious okay. mic teach, control yeah, yeah see all right i'm down for that <laughs> one of my favorite bands i'm not going to name them because i feel like it's kind of shaming them but a band that you know from london and you know they're one of my favorite bands and when i like first met them 10 years ago the singer was like yeah you know so he had a microphone set up at home to practice mic control you know yeah, like see, yeah distance yeah, 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 totally. remember, remember starting your first band and you're like do you sing it here or do i sing back here yeah, you know like it's a, it's a weird yeah, yeah. thing yeah i love that that's fucking awesome <laughs> i so funny. i have 100 percent been in my spare room and like tried to do like a punk jump when i was practicing before <laughs> to try and see if i could Hell ever yeah. do it live and i still could, yeah. I could never do one man uh, do you get along with the other te- i mean obviously you're gonna say yeah but i mean do you get along with the other teachers at the school do, do you kind of fit into that dynamic I actually have been really lucky because where I am, there's a bunch of young crew that are there. um, Yeah. I'm so, so stoked. Um, Where I teach is like 10 minutes from my house. um, Oh, brilliant. That's such a life trick. That's such a life hack to live near where you work. Yeah. It couldn't have gone like once again, I was so lucky again, but um, a really young crew of people that are like some of them, my best mates in the world now, just from the last few years. It's just, yeah, really lucky, man. I, yeah, I feel like I'm more connected to those people than I ever ever had been in my working life anywhere. That is so cool. That is so cool. I, you know, what a blessing to be able to totally, totally blessed, man. Totally blessed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, you you, you can wake up. You, I mean, it's pretty normal to not like your job, you know. And I think that's that's fine. And I, you know, anything beyond that is a bonus, right? Man, absolutely. I feel like um. I often reflect on it like I'd be at my old job when I was doing welding and stuff and thinking about how much I fucking hated my day, like literally at work, just like this is fucked. But mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever had a day when the whole day uh, of being a teacher has been like, fuck, that was a drag. I just feel like mm-hmm. the difference is that I'm way more, I can't leave it at work like I could when I was a tradie. Mm-hmm. So I'd knock off at mm-hmm. whatever time. Don't think about that shit until you're back there. But I'll go home yeah. from this job and, you know, I'm not the most uh, the best person at sleeping or trying to deal with <laughs> compartmentalizing my anxiety, but um, I'll be in bed thinking about some stupid thing that happened at work that day or some kid they've got a plan for or something. I'm like, wake up at 6 a.m. going, why was I still awake at 4 thinking about that shit that does not, <laughs> you know, it's not necessary. That's the well, big difference I've found, man. Because you're interested, right? Because you, you know, you feel I, I, it. I think it's because I actually care. Whereas <laughs> my other one, I'll mm. be like, no, I can deal with that shit tomorrow. Who cares? You know, it doesn't yeah. Matter. Yeah. I think there's something really nice about being in, you know, such an awesome band and, and having, you know, a, a, a probably a more, well, I guess some bands can be stable full time, but you know what I mean? I think there's something really nice. I mean, it's, it's like folk music for me. Generally speaking, folk musicians you know, they're working musicians, totally. right? Yeah, man, exactly. Um, and that's what we are. Like we are guys who <laughs> work and then we have a fantastic side job when we get to do it. Brilliant. <laughs> and everything is tenuous, sounds amazing. There's a lot of tazzy love in the sound of it. Man. You know, we, it's, it's fun. Oh, man. Like um, I think that, that record, especially because we made it at home during this whole thing, we made like, you know, in this, some of it, I recorded some of it in this room. Um, That's so cool. Felt so nice to do it like that, man. Yeah. Yeah. 
And there's there's some freedom in that, right? Oh man, like like as I said, the boys, two of the boys have kids, and um, instead of this like crazy studio pressure which we've done before, like done like the month while we're working, you know, like you'd be in the studio till two a.m., then go to work, and then be back yeah. at four for a month, and just want to die. And the studio is not fun like that. But um, with this method for this record, we just had that freedom. It was like, oh, sick. Okay, we'll go to six hours of whatever, and then come back to it because it doesn't matter because we're not getting charged studio hire. Have you been pretty good at, have you been pretty good at keeping the band fun? Because anyone can see how, you know, (laughs) it can get annoying at times. (laughs) Um, On and off. I I feel like, um, I feel like I sometimes still struggle with the, you know, we have a manager and stuff, but I still struggle with the admin side of even just liaising with them and talking to people about shit. I I really, I, I've been the one that has taken on the role of point person because I am bad at giving away that control because I like knowing what's going on. But within that, it's also mean that I've backed myself into a corner where I can't release control to the other guys to right. do it more. And they know this. Like they they still do help and it's amazing, but they offer to do more. It's like, nah, fellas, like I complain that <laughs> I, <laughs> I want to do it. That's the part that is the biggest drain, that side of the shit. And just, yeah. Yeah. Even with the man, even with management, you know, we still we still are so hands on that we can't relinquish control of things. Do you know what I think is cool though? And like, you know, obviously it's it's going to be so much more clear cut the way that you know looking at it from the outside. But you know, the fact that you're a Tasmanian band, you know, it, it makes sense that you know you have you have your audience. You know, you know who you're speaking to, and I think when you're when you're an artist, to know who you're speaking to is quite a. Uh, you know, it's something that you can harness, I suppose. It's super powerful. Um, I think you're so right. Like we, we've been so proud to be from here because of the community that has looked after us for so long that we, mm-hmm. like you said, we, I feel like we have this connection with people here because they're so proud of us. It's yeah. not a lot of people, like I said, stay in Tassie or do stuff from Tassie. So I'll walk down the street and see, you know, 10 Luca Brothers t-shirts a day. It's a small place given, but um and um, Tim Payne. Yeah, and Payne, yeah, yeah. Oh, you got, yeah, exactly. Fuck, this is the UK. Um, so that's two for two. We've got Booney, David Boone in a Booney t-shirt and Tim Payne in a Tim Payne t-shirt. That's so good. Did you watch <laughs> The Test? Was it called The Test? Uh, yeah, I guess I have, and Bu- Busby has too. Yeah, yeah. It's Busby's, a, Busby's a massive cricket tragic, man. Like he's, he's huge. A cricket tragic? Absolute. He's got a test cricket tattoo on his arm. It just says test cricket. <laughs> Are you joking? No, that's man. so funny. He is obsessed. So, like, um, when the photo came through, a painty wearing the painty t-shirt, he was like, "Yeah, probably about as part." Actually, we're under Bo- so obviously David Boone. I'm sure he's a big name. So David Boone was gigantic, maybe 20, 30 years ago, twenty years ago, I guess. I'm sure a lot of right. people would big in English cricket too. He played there for a while too. Um, but we got to go into his house one time, and he was wearing the Boonie t-shirt t-shirt we went and looked, looked at all these like tour bats from india and all this shit and busby's just like but i don't think busby said a word i think he called him mr boone it was like he's like a full <laughs> legend yeah oh yeah i'm looking at a photo of him yeah of course Fucking he's got the legendary tash. he drank um 52 beer the legend is he drank 52 beers from melbourne to london on the plane that's what they reckon happened that's his legend so did he invite you around his gaff yeah, um, he just lives so like you see him at the supermarket and shit, and he's just like he's this absolute Australian legend, and people are just yelling "booney" at him, fucking left, right, and center, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's classic. It's fucking classic, and he's just like got all these like framed bats all over the walls and shit. And Busby's just like, did he email you, or was it in person that he invited you around? We had a mate, um, you know, a mate of a mate type deal. Yeah. Right, right, right. Mate, but um, so actually, funny. with Painy, so. Next, uh, maybe two weeks away, Busby and I go into a wedding and the girl getting married's friend is Tim Payne's wife. So I think Payne is going to be at the wedding. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Mate, that's, you have to get a photo. And Busby is tripping, man. He's like, what if I, what if I like freak out and like, get too pissed and like harassing and stuff? I'm like, man, just fuck. I'm so pumped. I can't wait to see what happens. I think he's going to be there for sure. Do you know Ricky Ponting? Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. We did a shirt. We did a shirt years ago with him on it, but um, I think we're going to reboot it because now we 
we we think we're popular enough or big enough in Tassie that we can get him to wear that one too. <laughs> the painy thing does get a lev- does put a level on it. Totally, man. It does actually. I think it's dead right. Like, um, I think the biggest thing about that is the one thousand Indian cricket followers that we got from that who have no idea who what the fuck we are. <laughs> All these dudes just like harass and painy, just like click follow on the account. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, it's getting late. I don't want to hold you too long. It's 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 midday here, and it's getting to midnight where you are. But thanks yeah. so much for for being oh, up for this chat, man. Honestly, man, I've been so looking forward to this because I knew it was just going to be this type of chat where you forget there's a fucking microphone there, man. That's the aim. That's the goal. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. So there was Tyler from Luca Brazi. Thank you, Ty, for joining me. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Here's Cox Barrow. I've been working all day for me mate on the side Running around like a blue-ass fly I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day for me mate Every bleeding minute I've been on the go Up and down the ladder like a fiddler's elbow I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day for me mate This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.